Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay with me this morning. So good to see you. We're glad that you are here. We're starting a new series called, Is It Logical? Nothing about the Christmas story is logical. There are angels flying around. There are virgins given birth. There are angels in the fields of the shepherds. There are angels that come to a virgin who's going to give birth. How many of you know all of that is very illogical? But is it believable? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for all of your goodness, your mercy. We love you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. Well, we're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin at the beginning. If you have your Bible, follow along with me. Luke is writing. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So it seems like our Christian faith and our Christian experience seems to be very illogical, but you know, there are a lot of things that are pretty illogical in life. They say a bumblebee can't fly. It's too heavy, the wings are too small, it doesn't have aerodynamic uh, body types, but how many of you know bumblebees do fly? It is illogical for a lot of things. Uh, My friend says that I don't know how a black cow eats green grass and gives white milk. I haven't figured that out either. So a lot of things just don't make a lot of good sense. It, you know, is uh, illogical to me how some of the least qualified people who cannot put two sentences together have trouble with integrity and character get, keep, keep getting elected year after year after year. That's illogical to me. But I digress. Verse 4, Luke writes, the things you have been taught. So Theophilus, the things you've been taught make no earthly sense from the very beginning of the Messiah's arrival until his ascension. All of it's supernatural. It is beyond normal. It is beyond the natural. So it is illogical. So Luke is not trying to explain these events. He is declaring them. Let me say that again. He's not trying to explain the events. He is simply declaring them. So Luke, he's called the beloved physician or the beloved doctor by the apostle Paul, writes about 28% of the New Testament. Now, Paul is more prolific in the books, but uh, Luke writes a huge volume of writings, the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And Luke is sharing with us the events, and he tries to give us some narrative as he writes his gospel and the book of Acts, which is church history. Now, Luke, being a physician, gives us many medical details as he writes. Let me just give you a few. He says, Peter's mother-in-law had a high fever. People are sick with various diseases. Jesus heals a leper and many lepers, 
plural. A man who is paralytic is let down through the roof by his friends. Jesus heals them. Uh, him. Uh, a man has a withered hand. The centurion's servant is sick and then healed. Jesus raised a widow's dead son in the city of Nain. Certain women were healed from evil spirits and infirmities. A woman who had a discharge of blood or an issue of blood for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus' garment and is healed. Um, a young man has convulsions. The Good Samaritan pours oil and wine in the uh, stranger who's traveler, uh, traveling down the road from uh, Jerusalem, and he is uh, binding those wounds up with bandages. A woman has a spirit of infirmity. She's bowed down and uh, bowed over for many years. Jesus heals her. A man has dropsy, uh, edema, buildup of fluid in his body. The beggar Lazarus is full of, of sores. Peter cuts off a servant's right ear. So Luke is methodical trying to lay down a sequence of events. And he's doing this not only in the gospel, but also in the book of Acts. So our faith, and listen very closely, our faith doesn't produce the facts our faith is based on the facts, the fact of the virgin birth, the life of Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. And certainly this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across when he writes to the Corinthian church. He said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, he said, our faith is in vain. There's no reason to believe if Jesus didn't resurrect. How many of you know that's true? So we have to have a faith that's based on the facts and we believe the facts. And certainly, you know, Luke tries to share that, Paul does, but once we activate our faith and we believe the Word of God, then the facts around our lives can begin to change because of our faith and the Word of God and the power of God in our life. So let me just say this, so our faith is based on the facts, but once we have faith, we can change the facts around our life. If you believe and you confess and you do what the Bible says, how many of you know you can change the circumstances around your life? Your marriage can change. Your finances can change. Your health can change. Your eternity can change because now you're basing your life, your faith on the word of God and the power of God, but our faith is not based in the sense that we produce the facts. Our faith is produced by the facts. So that is very important because you're gonna hear throughout life, well, it's hard to believe. It's illogical, and we're gonna agree. It is illogical, but yet is there enough fact here for you to base your faith on and the answer is absolutely yes because our faith is based on the facts so Luke is examining the facts the testimony of the eyewitnesses just as he says and like a lawyer he's building his case in court if you will and he does it rather convincingly because he goes back over the eyewitnesses and the facts, not only of the eyewitnesses, but also the ministers. And how many of you know, a, a skilled lawyer, and we have lawyers here today, that build their case has to do it in a very eloquent way to produce the results they want to produce if it's based on the facts. And how many of you know, sometimes lawyers don't do a very good job of that. How many of you ever been in court and you think, goodness gracious, who hired this lawyer? So let me just give you a few real uh, things that happened in court. Uh, these people didn't represent their clients very well. The lawyer, how was your first marriage terminated? The witness, by death. And by whose death was it terminated? Take a guess. <laughs> lawyer, the youngest son, the 20-year-old, how old is he? He's 20, much like your IQ. <laughs> lawyer, 
Doctor, how many of your autopsies have you performed on dead people? Doctor, all of them. The live ones put up too much of a fight. (laughs) This is incredible, isn't it? Lawyer, now doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, how does, uh, he doesn't know about it till the next morning. Witness, did you actually pass the bar exam? (laughs) Lawyer, she had three children, right? Yes. How many were boys? None. Were there any girls? (laughs) Your honor, I think I need a different attorney. Can I get a new attorney? (laughs) Sound like the guy needed one, right? So notice what Dr. Luke does. He says, okay, I want to compile the, the occurrences, and he uses two people here. He says it is based on eyewitnesses. Say that with me, eyewitnesses. Now, the Greek word here is atoptes, which is one seen with his own eyes, an eyewitness, also a medical term that we get autopsy from, a detailed examination. So isn't it odd a doctor would use a term that we get autopsy from? So, so here's the case. I'm examining the body, if you will, the body of the, the facts, and he says, I want to go back and compile the record of the eyewitnesses. Then he says also the ministers those who are preaching the gospel. Now, he does both because you would assume that the ministers who are propagating the gospel would be maybe uh, bending toward all of this is true because that's what we're preaching. So what Dr. Luke says, I don't want to just examine those who are preaching the gospel. I want to examine, I want to talk to, I want to witness those who are the eyewitnesses to the events that actually happened. How many of you know eyewitnesses are good if you're trying to prove your case? And that's what Dr. Luke is doing. He says, there are eyewitnesses, there are ministers. Now look at verse three. He says, having followed all things closely. Different translations do different uh, wording here. Having perfect understanding. I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So Dr. Luke, as a physician, he's educated more than the general public. He speaks multiple languages. And we know that Luke, like the apostle Paul, has been with these disciples, with these ministries in their mission journeys and in their ministries. So Luke, as a physician, wants to be detailed, he wants to be exact, and that is stating the facts of the Messiah. So this past week, matter of fact, Wednesday, uh, I went to Dr. Jeff for my yearly examination. I go a week before, they take blood, they, they take all the stuff from you that they're gonna examine. And then a week later, you go for your yearly checkup. And mine is once a year. So you go in, and the first thing they do, which I wish they didn't, they weigh you. (laughs) So I get weighed. Uh, She, the very nice uh, young lady, shows me to the room, and uh, she asks me questions. Uh, She takes my temperature. Uh, She takes my blood pressure. She asks me more questions. Uh, She puts the pulse ox on my finger just to make sure, you know, my blood level is uh, correct and my oxygen saturation is uh, correct. Then Dr. Jeff comes in and we we have a conversation. He has pages from the the, the test, from the blood test and and other things that they tested. Um, You're grinning at me, you know what it is, but anyway. So, so, you know, he, he, he goes over, you know, your blood sugar, your white cell, your, your, your red cells, uh, all these things. And, and he looks at me and he said, Mike, you know, you, uh, you know your, your levels are all just good. 
did this really good. And then, you know, he puts the stethoscope on my heart and my lungs and this side and that side. He lays me down and he thumps on me a little bit, sees if I'm ripe as a watermelon. I don't know what he's doing. And, and he looks in my ears and, and, you know, he does all those things. And so I go home and Carrie later that afternoon says, well, what did Dr. Jeff say? He said, I'm perfect. <laughs> and she says, he didn't say that. I said, no, he didn't say that. But that's what he meant, you know. <laughs> so, so the examination is, you know, when you go to a physician, they want to make sure that they are thorough in what they do. So Dr. Luke is giving us that same protocol, that same feeling from Scripture. I want you to be aware the thoroughness of my examination of not only those who are preaching this, but those who are eyewitnesses to what actually happened in the events. Now, you know, how many of you have ever played the, the game Operation when you were growing up? You know, when you're doing surgery, you're taking things out. Uh, Michael Jr., the comedian, he, he said, we were poor growing up and we had an operation game. And he said, when the batteries went dead, we didn't have enough money to buy new batteries, so we just hardwired it into the plug. He said, it's a whole nother game when you play Operation that way. <laughs> I can only imagine, right? So we know that physicians want to be meticulous. They want to be thorough. And now Dr. Luke is doing the same thing here. And he says, I want you, Theophilus, not for you to believe your faith just because we preach it, I want you to believe what you've been taught on the facts that we know. Eyewitnesses, those who are preaching it, those who are with Jesus, and those who were there at the very moment these things happen. So Luke begins not with Mary, not with the virgin birth. He backs up and begins with Zacharias and Elizabeth. So Zacharias is an older priest. He is serving by course, which means that the priests serve so many days, and they leave home, they leave their family, they go serve in the temple, and after so many days, they go back, and then they're on rotation, if you will. So his position, that term, is at the altar of incense. So Zechariah goes in, and there by the side of the altar of incense is an angel by the name of Gabriel. And Zacharias, you can imagine, is startled. There's an angel in the holy place by the altar. And Zacharias is kind of shocked. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel, obviously sent by God. And you and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And immediately, Zacharias, as you would and I would, saying, what? Now, he didn't say that. That's in a different translation. But... They're older, and they have been trying, been trying to have children for years. Uh, they're barren, don't know who, who's at fault here, and there is no fault. They just can't have children. And now he's saying, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias says, we, we, we've been trying for decades to have children. We can't have children. And, and this is so indicative of, you know, a thousand years or, or so before of a couple named, what, Abraham and Sarah. And now the angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. And in the doubting of Zacharias, he's unable to speak now. But he writes on a tablet. And sure enough, Elizabeth gets pregnant. 
And the next scene that Luke gives us is that same angel Gabriel is showing up in the city of Nazareth, a small town, really, and he's showing up to a young lady by the name of Mary. She hasn't been married. She's actually engaged or betrothed or contractually committed to another young man by the name of Joseph. So here we have a young lady, Mary, uh, a young man, Joseph, who is going to get married in the future. But Gabriel says to this young lady, Mary, that you're blessed by God, you're favored by God, highly favored, and you are going to have a baby. And it's going to be a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to reign. He is going to be the most high. And obviously, if it had been you and I, we would have been shocked too. And Mary looks at Gabriel, the angel, and she said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. I, 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 I can't have a baby because babies come a certain way, and I haven't been with a man. And then Gabriel, he says, your relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and she's going to have a baby. Boom, that's amazing, right? And then the angel says to Mary, because Mary said, how can this be? The angel says, with God, all things are possible. Say that with me. With God, all things are possible. How many of you believe that this morning? Yeah, with God, all things are possible. So Mary's response is, this is illogical. I can't have a baby. I haven't been with a man. There's no way I can produce a child. And then Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, plant the seed within you, and you're going to give birth to the Messiah to the Son of the Most High, and you are going to give birth to a little boy by the name of Jesus. My friends, listen, this is not only possible, it is predicted and prophesied to happen before it ever happened. Now, listen to me very closely. The veracity of your Bible, the integrity of the Word of God, the truth that we believe, Either it is fact or it is fable, and can it be proved? Is it true? Because this Christmas season, we're going to celebrate some very illogical things. Virgins having babies. Angels flying through the, <laughs> through the air. I mean, all these things don't make any earthly sense. Can I hear an amen to that? But, question, is it true because it is so illogical? Well, not only are they true, they're predicted and prophesied before they ever happen. I want to give you this morning eight prophetic things about the birth of Jesus Christ. Many of you know these, but it's good to go back to reaffirm our faith, the veracity of the Word of God. The first prophecy in the Bible is actually a prophecy about the seed of the woman coming, the seed of the woman coming and crushing the head of the serpent. Now, there's some unique things in that. Number one, because it's the first prophecy in the Bible. The second is that the seed of the woman statement is very, very troubling because how many of you know, uh, you've had biology before, the woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed and fertilizes the egg in the woman, but yet that prophecy says the seed of the woman. And we know that 
Mary is not with child of Joseph or any natural man. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, so the seed that came to Mary is from above, divine, right? And so that prophecy stated that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The second one is that there would be a king from the lineage of David, it was prophesied, that would reign on David's throne forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, we know that Solomon wasn't that king. We know Solomon's sons weren't that king. Matter of fact, they did more damage in ruling than they should have. But yet, it's prophesied that there is going to be one from this certain tribe, from this certain family, from this certain king that's going to reign on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. The third is Isaiah 9, 6. We hear this at Christmas all the time. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, obviously, that's talking about Jesus Christ. Well, when did he say that? 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Now, notice the wording here, the titles, the, 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 the names, the characteristics. His name shall be called, the first one is what? Wonderful. Say that with me. Wonderful. You know the first part of wonderful is wonder? I wonder how he did that. I mean, this is illogical. This whole thing is wonderful. It's marvelous. It's supernatural. It's beyond the natural. It's beyond the normal. The first name given to this son that's going to be born and given. Notice it. He's going to be born and given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there is the seed of the woman. There is the lineage from King David, certain tribes, certain families, certain king. There is this one who is the son given. He will be called these names. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The fourth one is, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, listen, if you and I had been listening to Isaiah and Isaiah said, uh, a virgin's going to give birth to a son, we would do the same thing. What? I mean, this lady who's never been with the man is going to give birth, and we're going to call his name Emmanuel, the same name given by Gabriel in Matthew and here in the Gospels, that his name is going to be called what? Emmanuel, God with us, 700 years before it ever happens. Then Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings are from old, from everlasting, which means he has always been here. He's the everlasting one, and he's going to be born where? In Bethlehem. Well, when did they say that? 700 years before he was ever born. So the seed of the woman, the one coming from David, from the tribe, from the family, the one who has this name, the one who's the son given, the one who's going to be born in Bethlehem. Here's the sixth one, Hosea 11 and 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Do you know that Herod persecuted those families with little baby boys so much 
The Lord told Joseph, take your family and go to Egypt and do not leave Egypt until I call you out because I don't want this little baby boy to be murdered by Herod the king. And it was prophesied that he would go to Egypt, be called out 700 years before it ever happened. How many of you are feeling better about your faith this morning? Here's another one. This is Psalm chapter 72, verses 10 and 11. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Do you know the Bible actually said about 700 years before Jesus was born that kings would come and bow down before this baby and give gifts and how many were there? Well, there were three, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We three kings of Orion are. No, the Bible doesn't ever say that. We know the gifts, but we don't know how many kings. So the Bible says that kings are going to come and bow down and give gifts to this one born that is going to be one who is coming. He is predicted and prophesied. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means Rachel, who was buried in the environment of Bethlehem, those mothers are weeping for their children because they are no more, because Herod, when he hears there is a king of Israel born there in the region of Bethlehem, kills every baby boy two years and under. He wants no competition. Ruthless. Fanticide. All the babies are killed. What are the baby's mothers doing? They're weeping for their children. And 700 years before it happened, the Bible declares it would happen. The one who is going to be born of the seed of the woman, the one who comes from a certain tribe, a certain family, certain king, the one who has certain names, the son that's given, the one who's going to be born in a certain city, the baby's being killed, destroyed, the mother's weeping. I just gave you eight prophecies of Christmas. There are 300 prophecies about the life of Jesus before he ever arrived in Bethlehem. I gave you eight. Can I tell you what the odds are? Are you wondering what the odds are of some person filling those eight prophecies? Well, I'm glad you asked me. They are 10 to the 17th power, which there is 17 zeros there, and let me give you the number there if you see it. It's 100, It's one in 100 quintillion chances that any person could fulfill those just eight prophecies. That this person had to come from the seed of the woman from a certain tribe, a certain family, a certain king, to be born in a certain city with babies being killed and mothers weeping for their children, with kings coming to him and bowing down and giving him presents. 
I mean, we could go on and on and on. I just gave you eight. There's 300 of them, and it is one in 100 quintillion. You could win the lottery 100 times before that ever happened. But don't bank on it. You know what the chances of you winning the lottery is? It is one in 292 million. And you're going to go buy a ticket tomorrow knowing that it's a sure deal for you, right? For you getting struck by lightning is one in a million. Jesus comes along and he fulfills one in 100 trillion possibilities which means no one else in history could ever, 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 ever do that. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's more than presents. It's more than bells and holly. It's, it's more than carols and all those things are wonderful. I, I'm not negating those, but the real reason of Christmas is the one who was supposed to come came, and we know he is the right one. You see, no other religious figure has risen from the dead. No other religious figure reaches these odds. One in 100 quintillion, the odds. So why are we here today celebrating the facts of Christmas? Well, number one, you need to make sure you know why you believe in Jesus Christ. You need to know for sure why we celebrate Christmas because it is illogical to the human mind. But yet we have so much proof from Scripture that we do know that these things happen. Not only does Dr. Luke give us the veracity of Scripture, John does the same thing. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John, not the Gospel, but 1 John in the back of your Bible, chapter 1. So, so John does... In, in a like manner as Dr. Luke, he, he does the same thing. Let me read beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Now, look at that verse just for a second. I want to give you the highlights. This is what John says. We, we've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, our hands have handled, we bear witness, we declare what was manifested, that which was hidden is made known. So Luke uses the very same terminology. He says, I'm not here to explain it to you, I'm here to declare it to you. I cannot explain how a virgin gave birth. I cannot explain how an uh, angel came down and talked to people. I can't explain how two old people had babies. And I don't want to explain it in my own life either. So, Luke and John both say, I'm not trying to explain it, I'm here to declare it to you. I mean, you know, that's two different things. Two completely different things. I'm not saying I know how it happened, but I know it did happen because, now this is both of them, because we have heard, now this is John, he said we've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, our hands have handled, we're bearing witnesses and we declare it. You say, well, these people, I mean, they're, they're in tune to do that because that's what they're doing. No, my friends, if you have someone who's saying that to you, they've missed the mark. 
Because once Jesus died on the cross and was buried, these guys didn't go out and preach. They hid in a locked room thinking they were going to be next. You with me? And even when some of them went to others and said, we've seen him, he's resurrected, they didn't even believe it. Thomas, for sure. Remember? Jesus appears to some of the disciples. Thomas is not there. And they said, he's resurrected. We've seen him. And Thomas said, okay, I'm a believer. No, he didn't say that. He said, I will not believe what you're saying until I see him and put my hand in the nail prints of his hand and put my hand in the side where that centurion ran the spear through his side. I will not be a believer until I see it with my own eyes. And guess who appeared to Thomas? Jesus did. And you know what Thomas did? Jesus said, Thomas, come here. Why don't you put your thumbprint in the holes in my hands? Why don't you take your hand and put it in my side where that centurion pierced me in my side? And you know what Thomas did? He fell on his knees. He said, my Lord and my God. You know what John is saying? This is not something we've heard. We saw this. We were eyewitnesses to this. We handled him. We declared him. We were with him. So these people are writing this. Dr. Luke is writing this. This very educated, professional, in a, in a thorough manner is laying this out for his friend Theophilus. He's saying this is not, this is not a fable. This is not a, a story that we've made up. And you say, well, I think it is a story. Then let me ask you a question. What in the world are these people doing dying for what they believe? Now, if it had been me, just, just me, I'll leave you out of the equation. If they were getting ready to cut my head off or crucify me upside down or skin me alive and it really wasn't true, I might say, hey, hold on here. You know, we just made that up. So don't, I mean, don't overreact to this. Like, kill me. But every one of them, every one of them went to their death and most horrible deaths, not recanting, still believing, because they know what they saw, experienced, and handled, and they said what happened is absolutely the truth. Therefore, we declare it to you. And Dr. Luke, let's go back to him again. He said, I'm not just doing this on hearsay there were eyewitnesses that we talked to that said this is absolutely the truth. Now, eyewitnesses may not be believers, but they would say this happened because I saw it with my own eyes. Paul said this about the resurrection. He said, if you don't believe me about the resurrection, he said, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time, go ask them. He said, most of them are still alive today. Think about this. I was alive when JFK was assassinated. Many of you weren't. I know what it was like. I watched it on television, the commentary, saw the pictures. Many of you don't have a clue. You weren't there. You just had to you know, go by his history and what was recorded. Uh, I know what it was like when 9-11 happened because we have people from all of these things that happened in many of our lifetimes. You could go back to people who were there in the towers, you go back to people who were on the streets in Dallas, and you could ask them and say, did this event actually happen? And guess what they would say? 
They would say, absolutely, because we were there, we were alive. And this is what John is saying, this is what Luke is saying. You can go back, Paul is saying the same thing, go back and talk to the people who were there, and they can tell you from eyewitness personal account that this actually happened. Can I hear an amen to that? I got to thinking about this. Remember the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field? There's born in you this day in the city of David. Christ the Lord. I, I was in Israel a few years ago, and they still have shepherds in Israel. You, you know, most of the shepherds are either young boys or older men. You say, why is that? Why are they young boys or older men? Well, uh, if you're inscripted in the military, obviously you can't go shepherd the flocks because you're busy. If you have a trade, if you have a job, uh, if you're middle-aged, have a family, you, you're doing other things. So the, the young boys and the older men are taking care of the flocks. They're out there with the flocks. And I got to thinking about this. Um, we think that most of the writings of the New Testament happened somewhere about uh, 60 A.D. to 90. And so if they begin to write and share with us, it's 60 A.D. So we're looking about 30 years after the events happened. I think you could probably find some shepherd boys, maybe who were 10, now they're 40. Hey, did angels really appear in the field while you were keeping the sheep? Hey, I was there. They actually appeared, they sang, they said, go to the city of, 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 of David, go to Bethlehem. For to you this day is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Isn't that amazing? See, we read these things, but sometimes we don't think about it. We, we don't really let it sink in. We don't really let it go down into our mind and our heart that these things were actually investigated and people who were eyewitnesses were actually talked to and asked about what actually happened. And now John is saying that, and Dr. Luke is saying that. He said, we've heard, we've seen, we've looked, we've handled, we bear witness, we declare what we're telling you is absolutely the truth. Now let me end with this. Two things, if you have a pencil and paper, I want you to write down. Very quickly, the first Christmas events were miraculous and supernatural, but we can't approach everything just with, just with, come on now, just with a head knowledge. You may acquiesce to say, okay, I believe these are the facts and still never believe with your heart. So are there facts? Are there things that we can say were witnessed and declared and written about that were truth? We can say absolutely yes, and that still wouldn't save you. How many of you agree with that? You can say, well, those are the facts. But how many of you know you don't have to agree with the facts, nor do you have to believe them? But here's the second thing. We don't ever need to lose the supernatural in our lives. We don't ever want to lose the supernatural and the miraculous in the life of the church. Listen, my friends, we serve a supernatural God. I can explain him. I know a little bit about him, what he revealed, but he is so far beyond our mind, our thoughts, our ways, and that's what he said, that we are still trying to understand the magnificent, powerful, omniscient God that we serve, who's been revealed through Jesus Christ the Son. 
And we have a birth here, we have a life here that is absolutely supernatural, and we don't want to lose that supernatural aspect of our lives and the church, because God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still a healing God. He's still a supernatural God. He's still a God that does signs and wonders and miracles. That's God. And I don't want to reduce him down to something that I can explain or this is just what we do and this is just how we worship. My friends, we have engaged and, and he has engaged us and he is a supernatural God. And that's something that we have to keep. We don't want to lose. Listen, I don't want to walk in here. We sing three songs and we shake hands, we go out. Let me tell you, that's become a spiritual country club. We want to believe there is a miracle working God among us that lives are changed, that people can come to faith, and those who doubt can become believers. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen, we want to be a light to a dark world. And just like that first Christmas, it was prophesied in the middle of darkness, light came, and that was talking about the one who had the light, and that's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In a dark, Roman, conquested world where those people had no hope, no future, Jesus springs in to humanity, born from a virgin in a miraculous way, attested by angels. And he came into their lives, and history has never, ever been the same. And neither should you, and neither should I. We want to keep that miraculous in our lives. It's just not a head knowledge, right? It's a heart change. Let me tell you, my life has been changed by Jesus Christ, and so can yours if it hasn't been. You can have a change in your heart and your life where you are sure where you're going to go when you die. You don't have to go to a place that wasn't prepared for you. You can go to a place that has been prepared for you, and that's heaven. Amen? And the older I get, the closer I get to that place, right? And really, age is no deal. I mean, you, you can go out tomorrow or next week or whatever. And let me tell you, here's the good news. So whoever has departed in our life that knows Jesus Christ, we're going to see them again. And we're going to be with them again. Why? Because there was a baby born in Bethlehem that preexisted Bethlehem, who is Emmanuel, God with us, who came for one reason, to save his people from their sins. And all of us would agree that we've all done wrong stuff. And if you don't agree with that, you are radically wrong because we have all done wrong things. And so when we look at our need, someone has to pay the price for our misgiving, our sin, our iniquity. And here we have the spotless lamb of God without sin because his seed did not come from a natural man, but came from heaven to the virgin and he took my sin upon his sinless life and paid my debt at the cross of Calvary so I could be free from my condemnation because of my sin nature. And his righteousness has now become mine and I can stand in judgment and say, Jesus paid the price for my sin. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's what we need to understand. Can you effectively Defend your faith if someone asks you. You need to. You need to say, you know what? 
from the Gospels, from history, from writings, we have one of the most verified, verified characters from history than any other person of antiquity, and that's Jesus Christ. The reason people push back from it, the, peop- the reason people don't believe, is because they have an issue of who Jesus said that he is and he was. My friends, they tried to kill him many times because they did not believe who he was and who he is. But I'm here to tell you, from the beginning of your Bible, the word of God said, he's coming. Isaiah said, he's coming. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem. He's gonna come from the family of David. He's gonna sit on his throne forever and ever. Babies are going to be killed. The mothers are going to be crying. But he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And guess what? Everything they said about the one who's coming came exactly the way they said he was coming. One in 100 quintillion chances that anyone could, could hit that mark. you know what that would be like? Maybe me having a bow and arrow and trying to hit Dallas, only worse. Someone put it this way. You covered the state of Texas three feet with silver dollars, spray paint one orange, bury it anywhere in Texas and say, Kirk, you got one chance. Go to Texas, reach down in the silver dollars to get the right one. How many of you know you may miss somewhere around El Paso? But Jesus did not miss one prophecy out of 300 that was spoken about him. You got the right one, baby. If you don't have him, you need the right one, baby. He is the only historical figure that has ever fulfilled all the prophecies ever written about him. He's the only one who resurrected from the dead. That's why you need to believe in him. Bow your head with me. Father, thank you for being the awesome God. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the facts, the information, the word whereby we can believe. Not a fable, not a story, not a tale, but things that actually happened that people bore witness to. And now, 2,000 years later, Lord, we're able to keep that faith and keep believing that you are who you said that you are. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to know him. The only way to heaven is through him. Not because I said it. It's what he said. Or maybe you've wandered off Or maybe you're here today and you say, well, I don't know if I had enough information to believe in Jesus. I think when you leave today, you'll have enough information to believe in Jesus. So today, if you want to give your life to him or come back to him, would you simply raise your hand right where you sit and say, Pastor Mike, I want to believe in Jesus Christ or I want to come back to Christ. Thank you so much for your honesty, your courage. Thank you. 
Now, here's the last question, and I think it's important also. How many of you would agree with me that we need to know why we believe what we believe? And we need to be able to share with someone who doesn't believe, this is why I believe. Not because that's the way my mama was raised, not because that's the way my dad was raised, not because this is what my family believes, but I believe it because of the evidence that only one person could ever fulfill, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to raise my hand on this, but I'm going to ask you to do the same. If you really need to know and you want to know how to share your faith and visit, visit with someone about your belief, how many of you think it's important that we know what the Word of God says? If that's you, just raise your hand up. I'm, I'm raising mine up. Young people, you need to know why you believe what you believe. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know what the Bible says. You need to know what history says. You need to know what prophecy says. Stand with me all over the house. We got some people who's going to help us pray, and I'm going to ask them to come and stand right here. And here in a moment, if you have a need, I want you to come. Whether it is uh, you want to pray for healing, you want to pray uh, for deliverance, you want to pray for your marriage, your finances, you want to pray for your job, whatever. But most important, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to ask him to, you, to come into your heart and your life. So how many of you would agree with me that there's an area of your life that you need prayer in? And I'll hold both, both my hands up. There's an area in your life you, you need prayer for. So very quickly, if you raised your hand, or if you didn't, I want you to come and stand right here with me. So you're not joining the church today, but you just want prayer. I want you to come and stand right here with me, and we're going to pray together. Maybe you're praying for a family member. Maybe you're praying for a job. Maybe you're praying for a marriage or a son or a daughter. I want you to come and just stand right here. We're going to pray together. Let's give these folks a hand as they're coming. Some of the folks raised their hands, and, and they, they want to know that they know that they know that they know this is why we believe. Amen. Now, I'm going to wait just for a moment because I don't want to leave anybody out of this that, that wants to be here today. Now, I need about 50, 60 praying people to come up here and help us pray. Would you come up and just circle this group and lay your hands on their shoulder and say, hey, you're not alone here. There's going to be people with you. And uh, we're going to stand together. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. Come on, folks. Let's be the church today. Step out. Just gather around with some folks. We're going to pray as we're dismissing today. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to be uplifted. We want you to go out of this place with a great deal of confidence that we're celebrating the one who came and changed the world. Changed the world. Come on, let's pray together. Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for all of those who've come forward. We pray for a strengthening of our faith. We pray for our families. We pray for our health. We pray for our finances. God, we pray for our neighbors today that they would be blessed, they would be favored, they would find victory in their life. God, touch them, encourage them. God, be so real in their life. And God, as we leave today, let us feel a heart swell that we are your people, called by your name. We are the people. We are the people. We are the people that you've called.
and we have said yes to you. So Lord, thank you for all of the good things in our life. In Jesus' holy name, move by your spirit in our life. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you. So good to see you. Hope to see you tonight, six o'clock. Have a great rest of the day. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.